special night ahead of us. We have some guest speakers, so I'll call them to the stage. We probably could do with a couple of the mics there. That's great. Uh, so Smita and Stephen, come on up. And I have a feeling that this night uh, will not only educate us, but it may rattle us a little bit too. Uh, and in doing that, it may change us. Um, and I think that is really what church is all about. We don't just come here to worship and, and get our kind of fix of personal piety. It's like we come here to meet with God, and in doing that, we come here to get ch to be changed. So, um, yeah, no, no pressure on you guys. <laughs> but um, Stephen uh, is from Partners International. And formerly from the place, 2007 vintage. Uh, and, and so it's, it's fantastic to have him back. Uh, and we'll hear a little bit of, uh, about partners. And Smita uh, is here from Calcutta uh, on tour. And we will hear uh, more about what she's doing. But I, I just wanted to set up, for those that didn't know, it's uh, the place and Lambrick have been um, proactively involved in some of the issues that, are, that we'll find out about tonight in Calcutta, especially to do with sexual enslavement and uh, human trafficking. Uh, in 2010, we were able to, to send one of, uh, one of our people to help out in businesses there. This is Deb Morris. Uh, and she is still working there, helping out in businesses that provide a new way out, a new hope for people formerly trapped in those circumstances. A year later, we'd, we'd been chatting to a group called International Justice Mission and, and thinking that we didn't just want to work on the ground with people, but we wanted to find groups that were looking to change the whole systems that seek to enslave countries. And so International Justice Mission became another leg of our stool in Kolkata. Um, and, and as we went, even as we chatted to International Justice Mission, we found out that there was incredible work going on in, in these places called aftercare homes in Kolkata, where people who had been rescued, where they needed to go as part of hope, as part of transformation. And that was the first time we, we understood there was a, a place called Mahima uh, that was, that was uh, becoming a reality. Uh, and so this, this about a year ago, um, uh, yeah, just about a, a year ago, Smita was able to be here, but only kind of midweek. And uh, I thought what she brought to us was so incredible that we wanted her back on a Sunday. And so a year later, that has happened. Last September, we were able to start financially contributing to Mahima alongside International Justice Mission, alongside Deborah. And so God has been doing incredible things uh, here, uh, and, and he will continue to do that tonight. So uh, I'd love to pray for you guys, uh, and then pass over to Stephen, and we'll, we'll go from there. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you for the worship that has set us up to hear your message. Thank you for your prayer that you gave us 2,000 years ago that ushers in your kingdom that seeks to break evil wherever it is found. That isn't comfortable. It isn't comfortable as it seeks to serve the, the poor. Um, 
And so, Lord, I, I pray tonight you, um, you educate us, you, um, you break us down a little bit, and you build us up so that we can be the people of God working on the mission of God in your glorious name. Amen. Good evening. It's good to be here with you tonight and to have Smita here with me as well. I just want to introduce Partners to you a little bit. Most people say I've never heard of Partners International before. And for me to arrive here this evening has been a journey myself, uh, of which the place was a part of that back in 07. I found myself in transition here in Victoria and needing a place where I could just be. And Lambrick, the place, was one of those places in that journey that led me down a road where I was a pastor for five years and for the past year and a half have now been working with incredible people like Smita. And uh, Partners International as an organization, we do missions a little bit differently in that rather than being a sending agency, rather than sending Canadians overseas, we find people that are doing the work there. And we come alongside them and we say, tell us your vision. Tell us what you're passionate about. Tell us what breaks your heart. How can we help? How can we come alongside you? How can we tell that story back in Canada? How can we get Canadians and churches involved in the amazing work that God's doing here? And we look for those places specifically in the darkest, hardest places on earth. Where are the places that other people maybe can't go? Where are the places that other people have been afraid to go? Where are the places that the church has not traditionally taken root? We want to be there. We want to be a part of the journey of local indigenous people having a vision for their country, for their area of the world, and transforming it for the kingdom of God. Now, switch to the next slide here. This is a little bit of the way that we do it. So... Partners International is an organization that's 53 years old. And I have the privilege of working with people that are a lot smarter than I am. And so we've learned a lot of lessons along the way about what good partnership looks like, about how to do it well, about what works in different areas of the world. But the key piece of this is the holistic mission. And it's, it's something that is so key when we look at mission, whether it be here in Victoria or whether it be when we look around the world. I can't go to someone and tell them about the incredible grace that Jesus offers me if they're also starving and I have the means to help. If I have the means to help someone, I need to do that while preaching the gospel, while living the gospel. And in every area of the world that we work, that is the way that we do mission. Uh, Smita, as she will tell you, is a part of a larger contingent of our partners inside of Calcutta, a church planning aspect that has been going on. We've been partnered with them for 40 years, planting churches. And because of that, we've got a, a huge opportunity to come alongside Smita and these girls and the brokenness in that area and take new dark places for the kingdom of God. The example back here, you can see the brokenness, the social, the economic, the spiritual brokenness. We come alongside our local partner. And they know that culture. They know that brokenness, just like you know Victoria. You know the brokenness that's here. You know why it's here. You maybe even have some visions about how that should change. I don't. It's been a long time since I've lived here. I'd love to hear that, 
But for me to come in here and say, all right, I'm going to change it, I'd have to spend some time getting to know the city. Same thing, but multiplied many times over when we go overseas. And so we come alongside our local partner and we say, what's your vision? We enable them to do that, to bring that holistic restoration. Let's jump to the next slide here. This is where we work. Uh, We're five alliance offices, Canada being one of those around the world, and we partner with about 122 locally-led, entirely indigenous organizations around the world, and that's in 56 countries. It's a huge multiplication of ministry. And on the right-hand side there, you can see just the Canadian portion of what one year looks like in the ministry. Incredible stories, whether it be in South America, Africa, India, China, you name it. Uh, Incredible people. And one of those incredible people is right here beside me. And I've had the last almost a week, you've been putting up with me for almost a week, uh, in a car and just traveling around and hearing her heart and journeying with her. And so I want to give Smita an opportunity to share a little bit about how God has brought her to this place and what God is doing in Calcutta and in West Bengal and the ways that Lambrook has been partnering in that. So, would you welcome Smita? You can use this And we were a small group, but I think there were lots of good questions asked and discussions that we had. And um, I just appreciate the fact that, you know, I can speak in the morning and the evening, and you would still be interested in hearing what I have to say. But before I even go into what I would like to share with you, I'd just like to go back to the Word. And I have three small um, verses that if you can just pull out your phones, your iPads, your Bibles, and just look for um, these verses to just know what is God's heart and what was Christ's mandate when he himself walked among us. And if we can look at Psalms chapter 34, verse 18. And if somebody could just read that. I got it. Thank you. And if someone could look at Psalm 147, verse 3. And finally, if you could go to the New Testament and look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18 again. And this is when Jesus is in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we invite you this time into this room, into our hearts, Lord. And we feel that you be here, open our hearts, our ears to hear what you have to speak to us. Master, you know our hearts, you know what goes before us, Father. And we pray that as we listen to what is being spoken, that we be outraged at the injustice 
but we also rejoice in joy and hope knowing that you are the great redeemer you are the great healer who brings the peace and redemption in our lives lord father and as we leave from here that we do not leave in despair but just knowing that you are an awesome and mighty god and that you are in control and you know what is going on father and even as i speak this evening i pray that there will be many slaves who will be released of their bondage because of your presence in their lives in jesus name i pray amen so to start off um how many had heard of mahima even before today anybody one person two people thank you so um my journey with anti trafficking work started in 2006 and when simon introduced um, me um, and the work and was talking about ijm that's where i started my work i joined ijm in 2006 when they were setting up office in calcutta and um, it was a career choice for me at that time i was not i cannot say i was overly interested in sex slavery or that i had a whole lot of information about that even though i have grown up in that city and i have seen women in prostitution standing on the streets and like many people today i had blinders and i was not willing to look beyond the fact that these women had no choice and that there was a lot of fear intimidation and threat that went on behind the scenes that did not allow these women to take even one step out of what the pimp had told them so when i joined ijm and this afternoon we were just doing a brief recording because ijm calcutta is now celebrating 10 years and uh, they're celebrating the 10 years of the first rescue that happened in calcutta and it was april 6th 200, 2006 and i am probably the only person left that the calcutta office is in connection with who was present on that day and for me personally that was a life changing moment for me to walk into a hotel room waiting for some people to bring young girls in for a sex party and when the police had exchanged money and we went in to see these children i was just it was beyond anything i had even imagined that a 14 15 year old girl will be brought by her father her aunt and her sister to be sold for money money that was handed over wrapped up in newspaper and when the father came and he was asked to identify his daughter he just looked and said my daughter is not here and this child was sitting beside me in that hotel bed just crying that my that's my father he told me he's taking me for an outing and he brought me here so that is when it really hit me hard that this is happening in my city little kids are being sold for as little as 5000 rupees as you know as 6000 rupees and that's about maybe 100 dollars or 150 dollars and that's it and their lives are sealed for that after that and you might feel that you know most times there's drugs involved there is uh other things that put pressure to get girls into prostitution it's not that in my country it is not tourism it is not people coming from the west like they do to thailand and cambodia it is our own men who create this demand in our country and the demand is for younger girls and it just it's a horrific situation the kind of abuse that these children have to face when they are broken down so that they will have no resistance to go back and you know stand up to these people 
uh, we recently had a rescue through IJAM of a 14-year-old girl and um, just the kind of story when she we were doing her assessment, my counselor had to step out of the room to just, you know, just take a break because she just could not take that kind of story because it is so hard to hear that another human being would subject a child who is 14 years old to that kind of an abuse. But this child is also so strong, and I believe that only comes from Christ, is that she went for her identification parade where she has to identify the man who trafficked her. And she says, I walked up to him and I poked him in his stomach and I told the police that this is the man who did all this to me and I hope you beat him and beat him and beat him. So she is like, he did so much bad to me and I want him to suffer for what he did. And this is just a 14-year-old kid speaking. So this is the reality of my city and this is the reality of my country. Uh, but if I get stuck on the numbers of one million children who are enslaved, I will not be able to function. I will not be able to take a step that will allow me to do anything. So out of the time that I was um, there um, in IJM, there was a huge need to set up an aftercare home that would take care of this. And nobody was willing to do it because it's hard to deal with young girls who have come through so much trauma. But it was JKPS, it's a church planting organization, Bible training college, uh, sending evangelists to unreached places to preach the gospel. They just came forward and they had been partners with Partners International for almost 36 years. And they came forward saying that we just feel called to do this even though we have no idea of how to do it. So in 2010, while I still work with IGM, I set up the first Christian aftercare home and we did it with just 15 beds because that's all we felt that we would be able to uh, take care of. But in these six years, God has blessed this ministry in ways beyond imagination. We are now up to 60 beds where we can take care of little girls who come in right after rescue and can stay with us until they're 18. And following that, uh, if they still need more time and to get into a job, into a training, into more education, they can stay into our transition home, which is for adult girls. So we have 45 beds for minors under the age of 18 and 15 beds for the transition home. And again, as Stephen mentioned, it is holistic. It is taking care of their health, of their emotional abuse, the trauma, of their education, their um, psychosocial skill building, of vocational training, getting them skills that will give them a job, putting them into internships, ensuring that they have a job before they go back into the community, connecting them with their families so that they do not forget that where they come from. And these are families that are safe for them because uh, there is a small percentage where their own families would have been responsible for the trafficking, so we do not want them to go back but we do want them to know their roots and not grow up you know, in a shelter home for the rest of their life. So reintegration into the community is very key for us and we look at that at all times. So in this last six years, if we look at number of girls impacted, uh, it's 154. And uh, many times I hear that you know, a million kids and 154, and this morning I had a gentleman come up after the service and he said, I want to share with you a small story because when you talked about these numbers, and it was a story that you may have heard before, it's um, about a little boy who was on the beach and lots of starfish and he was picking one up and throwing it back into the water. 
and uh, he kept doing that, you know, picking up a starfish and throwing it back to the water. And finally, someone asked, "What are you doing?" He says, "Oh, I'm saving the starfish." He said, "But there are thousands of them on the beach." So then he just picks up one more and throws it back and said, "Well, not that's one less. So I have saved one more life." And that's how it is for me because I feel that if there is one child who can be taken out from where she is and has given hope and freedom and a, a choice of what she wants to do. they just blossom they are like little kids uh and if you walk into my home uh you know when i speak you might feel it's very depressing very dark and sad place but uh surprisingly when you walk in you will hear giggles you will hear them just having fun telling jokes just being normal teenage girls and uh that has been a joy for me to watch because when i see the numbers and i see that okay it's 154 83 back with the family so many married so many in, you know testified but every single day i get to see god work in somebody's life even if it's a small little change that i see a little transformation that i see i know it's not me or my staff it's god working through us to bring that change in their lives so one good thing that's come out of all of this and with shafali's story i will share is that as with ijm we would also hope that IGM is doing the rescuing and helping with prosecution aftercare is such a critical part of that approach to change that because or to address the issue of trafficking because if a girl does not testify if her trauma is not taken care of she cannot stand up in a court a court which is not child friendly at all a court where she has to stand by herself her social workers her people who care for her cannot be in that room she will be there there will be 15 20 lawyers and if there are three or four accused people that might go to even 25 or 30 lawyers who are representing these six people and each one will ask her the same questions over and over and over and over again and this is done in an atmosphere where they try their level best to prove to the court that this girl's character is bad and that she intentionally did what she want to and she is now trying to implicate their clients so for her to stand up to that is a big big task and this is shafali and i the reason i shared this for you is because her journey has been really beautiful over the last um, uh 6 7 years rescued in 2009 mahima didn't exist at the time so through igm we did this rescue and she was only 14 at the time came out and we found out she was pregnant did not want to have the baby she doesn't know who the father is she said i don't care i don't want to have this baby and we had just gone through a training on crisis pregnancies and someone had given us a small model fetus of a 3 month old fetus and exactly the you know how it would feel and how heavy it would be and we shared that with her and as she held that in her hand completely changed her heart and said no my baby has eyes and feet and toes and i'm going to have my baby and she did and her son is almost 7 now and uh, he's in school doing really well and she's a fantastic mother because not only did she manage to bring up her son but she went through some schooling she wanted to drop out because she says i don't want to go to the same school my son goes to and it was like no you don't have to go to the same school but you have to study because you need to be able to take care of him and then she got to training and she now works for a business that is there in the city she's pretty much taken care of she can manage herself her son is in a good residential christian school going up but her story does not end with just that for her she took initiative to make sure that her trafficker got arrested 
and convicted because you know the trafficker was missing police said she's absconding we cannot find her and from 2009 to i think 2011 the police couldn't find her so in 2011 december 31st she gave me a call saying that you know the trafficker's back in the village can you send someone to go get her and the police actually went on first morning drove 8 hours caught her brought her back and she was tried and convicted for 7 years so this is just one of the girls there are many many stories uh, of hope redemption and change and uh, over these years that the lives have changed not just because they are not being abused anymore but because they have found the love of christ that we have been able to show them through each staff modeling christ for them that you are worthwhile you are loved and god loves you there gods do not teach them that they are punitive you've done bad you are a bad person there's a label on your head that you've been in prostitution no one can ever care for you all that you're worth is in the sex room in the brothels you have no worth outside of there so for them this is a whole world view change and um, many girls have come to christ but for us it is very difficult to take the next step of actual baptism and publicly acknowledging that because you have to be over 18 you have to go through a legal procedure before you can actually be baptized so while many of our girls accept christ we had the first three baptisms on valentine's day this year so that's why i like the verse uh, from luke the last word that this is the year of the lord and i just feel for me that this was the year because when they could actually walk down and be baptized by the waters and um, so with the homes that's where we are right now and uh, it's a good place girls are doing well they're healing they're in college and school they're having jobs they're moving out in their lives and we were at a point where we felt that yes there is rescue there is after care there is prosecution in place because more and more cases are coming to conviction <clears throat> what was lacking was the fourth phase that was the awareness and the prevention part of it because <clears throat> if we stop girls being trafficked if we can go to the source areas and make the villagers really know what is going on we can dry up that source where they are not as gullible where they let their girls go with someone who just comes with a business card and says i will give your daughter a job or i will give her a good life uh, we wanted the villagers to know that what are the phone numbers they can call if their child goes missing can they have photographs of their children because most of them don't have that can they have birth certificates of their children again most of them are born in their homes these villages are so remote they are like 52 islands south of calcutta and uh, you drive 3 or 4 hours your 3 or 4 hours then on the boat and then again you walk for another half an hour one hour before you can arrive at one of these villages but traffickers go even there and the more remote it is the more they will prey on these people so we did a pilot last year with uh, the objectives of trying to educate of trying to create awareness and information and knowledge and uh, some of the things that we found is that many of these people shared that their daughters were in a different city and when we asked them do you know the address of where they are they were like no do you have a phone number no we don't know she calls us once in a while but we cannot call her have you ever been to see where she stays no we've never been it's so far away how can we go it's expensive so these families believe these people who come maybe not all are traffickers but there is a high percentage who will take these girls 
will send back money to the family for two or three months and then say, oh, your daughter's got lost. We don't know where she's gone. She's run away. And meanwhile, they've actually sold her. So these families were like, I don't know then. I think I should find out. They do not have, like I said, a photograph. If a child goes missing, how to go to a police station? How to file a complaint? Who should they be speaking to? No idea. So then we found that the local self-governing bodies themselves were coming up that this is a need. We want you all to come back again. We want to take initiative to create little vigilance groups in our village so that we can prevent this from happening because we don't want our children going there. We don't want them going missing, but sometimes we just trust my neighbor who has a friend, who has a relative who came to town and took my daughter and went. So that is what we needed uh, to look at. So based out of this, uh, we did that, um, the plan is for the next three years, is that we want to focus uh, slightly more on um, prevention in the villages and also in the schools in the city with the young men. Because in India, the culture is still of male dominated, whatever I do is right, Violence against women is fine. If I don't agree with something, I can hit my wife or my girlfriend or whoever. That's okay. I can go to visit a prostitute. It's acceptable. So that needs, again, a whole change of mindset. I'm not sure whether I can change it in three years. I know I can't. It might take decades to do it, but we can at least make a start. So our hope is to work with students, boys, who are in grade 9 to grade 12, um, in the schools and as we addressed about 436 people in the village over the next 30, you know, three years, we may have 50 programs and address maybe 10 times, 20 times this number and we hope that sooner or later we will slowly be able to create an environment where people will keep their children safe, will not be trafficking them as much. So the final hope is that some days we will shut down the Mahima homes because there is no need. No more girls are being trafficked. But until then, both areas uh, is something that we will be looking at over the next few years. So yeah, ways in which you can get involved. And I think one is that we've had Deborah Morris who's from here. She came and visited with us. She spent some time. There's someone else in your church that I am on Facebook with and we connect and we keep her updated. If your church members want to write notes to the girls or to the staff, to just keep them encouraged because sometimes it's hard work and it's difficult to stay focused and uh, to work with these children. So would appreciate that. Um, if there is someone who has training, experience in um, trauma-related uh, therapy or different models, appreciate training via Skype. You don't have to come all the way there. We can do that over Skype. Uh, we have a church that does an e-tutoring uh, program with our girls. Uh, we have churches that pray with us once a month, once in two months, uh, just to you know keep the relationship going and be connected in some way. Uh, we had a program with uh, Partners International and a dance studio in Ontario where the girls performed here in Canada. My girls performed in Calcutta and we Skyped both to each other. So they got to see them and they got to see them. So it was another fundraising event where they were able to participate and be part of the whole thing. So there are ways, we can think of ways that you can be involved even while you're here, but also to think locally that what is going around in your city or close to you and how you could be involved with that uh, is a big part of it. So thank you so much for your time and we can chat after.
And if you have questions, I'd be happy to answer them. I had a chance to be there last January. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, as a man, to walk into that environment. I wasn't sure what I was about to walk into or, or what my relationship would be like. I was a youth pastor for five years. And to know that these young girls had seen the worst parts of humanity. And I, the vans pulled up outside of one of the houses and I got out and I was just praying as I walked through the gates, uh, through the security gates around it. And Calcutta is a dark city, spiritually. It's just, it's, it's very heavy. And it was interesting, I just, it was palpable as I walked through the threshold of the place of just the peace that was over that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I, I wound behind the gate and in through the front door and I just kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, God, what do you have in store? And as I walked into the house, the first noise that I heard was laughter. Was girls running and playing, chasing each other. And I was like, how cool is that? And over the next couple hours, we had a chance to just be in the homes. And because of the trust that Smita and her staff had built there, I was able to just be myself, which is a little weird on its own. But it ended up with us filming a Bollywood film with them, and I ended up playing a woman. (laughs) It got weird. That's all I'm saying. But apparently it still gets shown regularly, so they all know who I am. I was hoping it would go away, but it hasn't. All that to say... Um, it's it's hard to hear. It's hard to even comprehend. And yet the beauty of it is is that this is God's heart. He's he's angry about it and he's working on it. And and to even hear the story about how JKPS as a church planning organization went, it's not what we do, but we see the need. Let's do it. And all that's come from that is just amazing. And so tonight, uh, I mean, we're going to be around. We're not in any rush. So if you want to come and chat with us, please do that. Um, I don't know whether that means that maybe some of you and, and I, we get on a plane and we go to Calcutta and we discover what's going on with Deborah and at Mahima and in the Sunderbend. I, I don't know. But it'll be fun to find out. And I hope that as you've heard what Smita said, uh, that has both given you a better idea about what's happening in Calcutta, but also what's happening in your own life. We don't have to look far to see brokenness. We don't have to travel halfway around the world. It's all around us. How is God calling you to be involved? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you did not leave us here. Thank you that you are not far away. Holy Spirit, that you are with us in this room tonight. Lord, thank you for Smita and for the workers, for the psychologists that put aside all of the money that they could have to be there, for the moms and the security guards and the drivers and the ways that they just love these girls to give them a hope and a future. Lord, thank you for the pastors that are going into areas that have never been before to establish churches so that Mahima can come behind and offer these programs. Lord, we thank you that you're a God that's not distant, but that you're with us, that you're passionate, 
that you are a just God. Lord, we pray for justice over this situation. It makes us mad. It makes us angry. It makes us sometimes feel hopeless. And yet we are lights in the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome it. Lord, I want to lift Smita up to you. I want to lift up her staff. And I want to ask your protection over them. For those girls, Father, that you would embolden them. That in their devotions, in the morning and the night, and when they go to the Freedom Church on Sundays, the Holy Spirit be working in their hearts, calling them to you. Lord, that whether it's in a year or two years or three years, that as Smita comes back to share about the incredible work that's happening, there would just be countless stories of how you're at work. Lord, be with us tonight. Speak to us where we're at. Encourage us. Bring justice into our lives. In your name, Father. Amen. Um, I just want to add my thanks to both of you, uh, Smita and Stephen. Thank you for being here with us um, and sharing what's going on. Um, I loved a couple things that you said and just some reflection as we're heading into communion. Um, and to sort of reiterate what you said, Stephen, um, about if we see someone and we have the capacity to meet that need. That's our call as people who follow Christ. And... Um, and Smita, I loved your perspective too of um, it's overwhelming to think of how much hurt and pain and need that there is. Um, but it's, it's where we get our hope that we can do something and that if we can. Um, yeah, that was really beautiful. So thank you. Um, communion is a time of reflecting on... Uh, on the sacrifice that Christ has made, and I think that I can tend to be guilty of getting overwhelmed with only seeing what I'm weighed down with. So as we head into communion together tonight, um, let's celebrate both our redemption for ourselves and also the redemption for um, everybody else around the world who needs it. And um, yeah, anyhow, um, if you're new here, the way we do communion is we have two stations um, with bread and juice, and you rip off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice, and the servers will um, offer you a greeting as you come. And um, to my left and your right, we'll have gluten-free bread as well. Um, will you join me in our reading for this evening? We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We cannot love you with our whole hearts. We cannot love our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly live. For the sake of your Son, Jesus, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it, saying, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. 
His body was broken for us. Likewise, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. His blood was shed for us. Almighty God, The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Amen. Would the communion service come up? <clears throat> 